Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Happy uh, Palm Sunday, uh, church. Uh, Man, can you believe that it is one week from Easter? Wow. Super excited. Super excited. Um, Can we pray? Let's just ask the Lord just to prepare our hearts uh, to receive his word today. Father, we love you. God, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful, Lord, that we get to come together to worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word, God, that you sent, Lord. You sent to heal our diseases. Lord, your word, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. God, your word, Lord God, is what we need this morning. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, we invite you, Lord God, to prepare our hearts, Lord, prepare our minds, Lord. God, may we not be distracted, Father, from the things that need to be done later on or this week. God, we may, may we be right now in the moment, God. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Thank you, Lord. We know, Lord God, that you've began a work, Lord. We thank you, Lord, you will bring it about to completion. We bless you, Jesus. We worship you, King of glory. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, can I be honest about something? I did something really dumb this morning. Anybody ever done something really dumb? No, none of y'all, because y'all are just perfect, right? Yeah, well, I'm not, (laughs) all right? So um, I have a really big screen, right, computer monitor, and that's because I have to see really big text. But here's the thing about whenever you look at this text, and for those of you that know how computers work, you know, you can zoom in and see anything. It's like control plus, and it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And so I'm writing my message. I'm putting together all my notes, and everything looks big. But the problem is whenever you print it out, you can have a size 6 font. But if you're zooming in on this big old screen, and it looks like a size 20 font to you, but then you print it out like I did right before I left church, and I looked down, and I said, what is that? Um, and, and so, which is kind of ironic because today I'm talking about trusting the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so it's like, okay, Lord, right in front of everyone, I get to take the test right in front of everyone. So anyway, um, but hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, uh, for helping me here. But, um, what we're going to do today is, is dive back into part two of what I mentioned to you last week was a two-part message on the Holy Spirit. And it's part of our all-in series, for those of you that are just joining us, uh, our all-in series has been a series that we've actually been in since September, where we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, chapter by chapter. Last week, I read to you the end of Acts chapter 18, and then I read the beginning of Acts chapter 19, and we used it as a springboard for these two messages. But last week we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, that he is a third member of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we looked at the word Holy Spirit in the original languages that the Bible was written in, and we found that there was one definition in both the Greek and the Hebrew And that was the word wind. And then we did a little bit of an analogy between wind and the spirit. And if you did not get a chance to hear that message and that teaching, I just want to highly encourage you uh, to go and listen to it. You can hear that message on our website. 
You can listen to it through our app, through our YouTube channel. But today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray that I can communicate this message as passionately as I feel it in my heart because living by the power of the Holy Spirit is critical for us as believers. We cannot carry out all that God has purposed for our lives or for our church if we are not leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do what he's called us to do. And so it's my hope and prayer that each of us, that we will be stirred to pursue the presence of God and to surrender every aspect of our life to him. And what I mean by that is empty yourself of you. Empty yourself of your wants, your desires, your plans, and allow God to take full control over every part of your life. And I say every part because watch this, church. The part that you don't surrender is where weakness resides. Are you with me? The areas that we don't surrender to God, we, in essence, are saying, God, I've got this covered. I remember whenever I was a teenager and before I surrendered my life to Christ, I had a friend of mine who um, found himself in a bad situation, as he always did. And on this one particular day, I remember him saying this really dumb thing that I grabbed a hold of even before I was a Christian. But he said out loud, he says, God, if you get me through this one, I'll get myself through the next one. And even though I wasn't a Christian, I remember looking and thinking this guy, thinking, man, are, are you kidding me? Like, what makes you think? Like, you can't even get yourself through this one. What makes you think you're going to get yourself through the next one? Like, what if the next thing's harder, right? Now, most people would never say something as foolish as what my friend said there. But while they may not say it that way, they often live it that way. They live as if they don't need God. Now, forgive me if I come out of the gate just a, a little strong here, but I just have to ask, is that you? Are you self-reliant? Are you self-dependent? Are you self-governed and self-made? I guess I could ask it this way. Are you self-centered? Like, does your life, like, center around you? Or are you God-centered? Is your life centered around him? I want to share with you what I know to be true about God. God loves you so much that if you center your life around you and what you can do and what you can accomplish, God loves you so much that he will pull the rug of self-dependence out from underneath you. Listen to me, church. I, I can make that statement with firm conviction and complete assurance because over the past five years, I've had that rug pulled out from underneath me more than I can ever count. I mean, more times than I could ever count. But let me just say that in every instance that it happened, it was God showing his love towards me because he knew that if I continued to build my ministry, my marriage, 
my parenting or, or any other area of my life, for that matter, on a weak foundation, he knew that it wouldn't survive. What am I talking about? Friend, I'm talking about our need for God. I'm talking about surrendering every area of our life in order that God would come along and strengthen it. So here's the thing. The best that you can do is the best that you can do. But when you surrender to God, then it becomes the best that he can do. Church, God can and he will use the person that is surrendered to him. As a matter of fact, just in case you didn't know, God has a very specific role that he has purposed for each and every one of our lives. A specific role and a vital role. Like he has a role for you here at Destiny Church, but he also has a role for you for the worldwide body of Christ. I'm talking about each and every day of your life being ordained by God for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so I want you to know this morning that you are more than just a helpful addition. Are y'all hearing me? Like you must believe that you are a vital Remember, and you are. There are things that God has called you and only you to do. And I believe that it's time, and I believe it's the call that's going out from the Spirit of God to say it's time to be all in. Amen? Amen. Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to show you that the Holy Spirit has a lot of practical ministries for our everyday life. Roles that he desires to play if we would be willing to allow him. And on that thought, there's something that you need to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not force himself where he is not wanted. You've got to welcome the Holy Spirit in each of these roles that we're about to talk about. Like if you want to see him active in those roles. And so here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and pull out whatever it is that you take notes with because there's four simple points that I'm going to share with you this morning. Really, there are four common roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And please understand that this is not going to be a comprehensive list. If I were to give you a comprehensive list of all the roles that the Holy Spirit was supposed or called uh, to be in our lives, we'd be here for a really, really, really long time. Um, it's just four roles that I believe need to be highlighted for where the church is at right now. And so let me just start with a role that Jesus talks about, which is a very important role of the Holy Spirit, and that is this. The Holy Spirit empowers. Now, let me just say that we could sit here and talk about this very point uh, for the rest of the day. But what I want you to see here is that God has sent his spirit in order to empower us to do things that we could not do in and of ourselves. I read this scripture to you uh, last week, and it's foundational to understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. It's Acts 1, verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, most of you have heard this verse before, and certainly if you were here back in September when we kicked off the All In series, we read this verse and we talked about it. But here's what I want to ask this morning, though, is have you experienced it? 
Have you experienced the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced the miracle-working power of God? Like, church, watch this. Whenever the first disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, a radical change occurred. Like, from that point on, none of them were ever the same. Like the book of Acts is testament to this fact. We see Peter changed into this courageous man. Remember, you just read back right there in the book of John, and and there he is denying Christ once to a a servant slave girl. But now, all of a sudden, this guy's full of, of courage. We read about Paul, who went around killing Christians, but then became one himself and started showing others the way. Why? Because when people live in the power of the Holy Spirit, there is evidence of it in every area of their life. What I mean by that is when you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but be changed and the world can't help but notice. In Luke 24 and verse 49, Jesus told his disciples that they would be clothed with power from on high. Now think about that just for a moment because he wasn't just speaking to his disciples, but that's a promise that's to you and me as well. That we would be clothed with power from on high. I don't know about you, but that right there sounds like something life transforming to me. That sounds like something that can shake the world. That that sounds like something that wherever he goes, he's going to bring about change. But watch this. I think the reason that so many people have yet to experience this change is because they have believed a lie. What I mean by that is they think that the Holy Spirit is, is optional and not necessarily needed. And so they've approached the Holy Spirit more like an accessory rather than a necessity. But friends, God sent his spirit in order to bring transformation in our lives. He sent him in order that we would live a victorious life through the power of his spirit. God wants to take timid hearts and set them ablaze with strength and with courage, with chutzpah, so that when people see it, they will know that something supernatural has taken place. I'm talking about a change that is just as miraculous. Because oftentimes we want to see all these miracles with the visible eye. But I think the miracle that God's really wanting to do is in our hearts. It's just as miraculous, those internal changes, as fire falling from heaven. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be explainable without the power of the Holy Spirit. Like when people look at me, I want them to know he couldn't be doing that thing without the Holy Spirit in his life. Come on, y'all with me? But operating in the power requires us living a certain way. What I mean is, living by the Spirit implies a habitual, continual, and active interaction with the Holy Spirit. Now, this may sound exhausting uh, to some, but, but, but it isn't, because all of this living and action is done by the power of the Spirit. Are you you with me? See, it's not by our own strength. All that's required on our end is surrender and obedience. Now, I know we talk a lot about that word, 
surrender within the church. But I want to just maybe clarify what that means just exactly. And actually, Webster gives a, a beautiful um, definition, a, good, a great job with that definition. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, surrender means to give up control. A relinquishment of rights. Now, that's tough for us American Christians who we want to lay hold of our rights quicker than anything. The kingdom of God's a lot different than the kingdom of the United States. Uh, just saying. To give up control. A relinquishment of rights. And to give oneself up into the power of another. And I love this last definition. The act of giving up after a struggle. I share that because there's so many Christians that are struggling right now. They're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling with their finances. They're struggling with their emotions and with their health. They're struggling with their job. They're struggling with fear. They're struggling of raising their, their children. But I'm here to tell you that breakthrough comes through surrender. Let me say it again. Breakthrough comes through surrender. Because once you've fully given yourself over to the power of the Holy Spirit, it's then that you find yourself with the strength to be able to do what then you could not have done in your own strength and ability. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, not just getting a master's degree, not just sitting under a lot of good teaching. Not just, it says his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. You can listen to 10,000 TED Talks and it's not going to give you everything that you need for a godly life. Are you with me? It's his divine power. We're talking about the paraclete. We're talking about the Holy Spirit right here. It's his divine power that has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and his goodness. Now, do you see why I say that the Holy Spirit has a lot of practical ministries for our everyday lives? The scripture says that the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to us in order that we can live the life that he's called us to live. But the sad thing is that there's a huge gap between what we read in the scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers and churches operate today. Listen, maybe I'm all alone on this, but whenever I read about the things that the early church did, and, which is amazing because they didn't have anything any different than, than what we have. I mean, like we don't have a watered-down Holy Ghost. We may have watered-down teaching and preaching in our churches, and perhaps that's part of the problem. But it's time for the body of Christ to rise up and to be the giant slayers that God has called us to be. It's time for us to represent the kingdom of God by manifesting the power of the king in which we serve. I read something this week that challenged me, and I just want to share it with you. And I hope that it challenges you as well. Um, by the way, if you're new here uh, can we welcome our guest, by the way? We, we, we are so grateful to have you here. Um, I challenge my church a lot because I love them. Are you with me? And so if you're there thinking, man, this guy's kind of hard, you know, um, blame it on me having a great football coach who challenged me. Um, I don't know. Um, blame it on having a pastor who challenged me and friends who challenged me. But uh, I will say a lot of things oftentimes 
that is challenging, and it's because I love you. Um, I, I could change my message and have every seat filled in this place. But as I said earlier, I don't want to build an audience. I want to build an army. Are you with me? And so having said that, you like that little setup there? Um, the challenge is this question. Ready? If everyone gave, served, and prayed exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered, or would it be weak and impotent? Now listen, I'm not saying this in order to condemn anyone or shame anyone. I'm just asking for us to take an honest assessment. Much like the Apostle Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 13.5 when he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Like I think that we've got to be real about where we are because if we're not, then we're just going to be content to live ordinary, natural lives instead of living extraordinary, supernatural lives. Yeah. Church, here's the truth that I want you to catch. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God has called us to be. Come on, do y'all believe it this morning? Now let's look at another role that the Holy Spirit desires to play in our lives. And that is this. The Holy Spirit unites. He is a unifier. Often whenever we read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we focus on the supernatural element of what took place there. Like we stand in awe of when we see these ordinary men and women, many of whom were uneducated, begin to speak in the languages of those that were there in Jerusalem for Shavuot, uh, even though they didn't know their language. Um, and that was a, a powerful manifestation, right? But there was another manifestation of the Spirit there that doesn't get a lot of attention. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I'm going to break this down just a little bit. I talked a little bit about this like back in September when we talked about the word fellowship. But this word here, fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. And it's the very first place that it's used or mentioned in the Bible. In fact, it could not have been used prior to Pentecost because it is a manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But after Acts chapter 2, it's used 18 more times. Koinonia, or fellowship, is the supernatural grace that causes Christians to love one another deeply. Just as the Holy Spirit's dunamis, or his power, enables us to be able to pray, to see people healed, and to work miracles, his koinonia, it knits our hearts, and it binds us together in a way that only the power of the Holy Spirit can do. See, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Koinonia caused the early disciples to share their possessions unselfishly and to share meals together often. And many people decided to become uh, Christians uh, as a result of what they witnessed with this loving community. Matter of fact, let me just keep reading uh, from there. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' uh, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like if you want to know what the church or the body of Christ is supposed to look like, it's right here. It's right here. When you read from Acts chapter 2 through the rest of the Bible, you'll see that koinonia, fellowship, was an essential ingredient in the New Testament church. It's what connected Paul, Timothy, Titus, Priscilla, and Aquila as a, as a team. But oh, how far we have fallen in 2,000 years. Most Christians can't even recall a time that they had someone over and shared communion together. And they can't recall it because they've never done it. In the 21st century church, if someone says something that we don't like, we just pack our bags and we go down the street to the next body of believers. Of course, until uh, someone there says something that we don't like and then we just continue the cycle. Church, we must return to koinonia. But watch this. It's not something that you can download, and it's not something that you can fake. It will require us scrapping our artificial, event-driven programs if we want the relational Christianity of the book of Acts. Are y'all with me? And we have to invite the Holy Spirit to do his work of connecting us with our brothers and sisters in Christ by his supernatural bond. Church, this is what the world desperately needs and is crying out for. And it's what God wants for his church. Listen, Satan hates Christian fellowship. Did you know that? Like it's his policy to keep Christians apart. He delights in anything that divides us from one another. See, the reality is the devil attaches far more importance to fellowship than we do because he knows that our strength comes from our unity. Therefore, he does everything that he can to promote separation. One of the ways that he does that is by playing into our fears. See, this generation is afraid of real community because it inevitably it limits freedom and choice. It requires us seeing past ourselves. And it means putting into action the things that we say that we believe and value. What I mean is like we like the idea of giving, we just don't want to give. We like the idea of serving, we just don't want to serve. We like the idea of being united, but we don't want to have to have the difficult conversations that will often expose our vulnerabilities. But if we're going to be the church, we've got to get over our fear and step outside of our comfort zone. Now listen, 
Let me just say, I know that many of you in this room are doing the things that I'm, I'm talking about. Thank God for that. But watch, this is a call for every single follower of Jesus Christ to be all in. Are you with me? Look, I know that some of you that are here, you've been hurt by other believers. Some of you guys have experienced church hurt. I know that some of you have felt overlooked, unappreciated, and not supported by those who should have. Some of you have been used, abused, and flat out refused even after you've given your all. But we cannot and we must not settle for anything that comes short of us doing life together. We are never better apart. We're always better together. And sometimes it's not pretty. (laughs) But that's where we have to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and trust that he will unify our hearts and that he'll heal our brokenness. Come on, someone say amen to that. All right, let's look at the third purpose or the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit comforts. Jesus even refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter in John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I love this aspect of the Holy Spirit because there have been many times in my life that I needed the comfort that only the Holy Spirit could give. And I just want to say to those of you that are here that maybe you're in a difficult season of your life right now, allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does best. I promise you, he is perfect in his job. Now, what, who else can you say that to? But he is perfect in his job. Psalm 94 and verse 19 says, when I was burdened with worries. Anyone ever been there? Well, listen to what it says. You comforted me. And made me feel secure. And here's the thing that I love about the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. The kind of comfort that he brings is the kind that brings peace in the midst of the storm. Like it anchors us in a way that when everything else and everyone else around us shifts and moves, we won't be shaken. For those of you that have been here for a while, you'll know that the past several years have been Uh, the hardest of my life, and I can't begin to count the amount of times that God has given me comfort, times that I was in some storms, brother, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't know, over a year ago, my wife and I were both given cancer diagnosis, and we both had tumors, and didn't know if we were going to live, and I'm going to tell you something. God comforted me through each and every one of those times. And so I stand up here and I testify, not just as a pastor, but as your brother in Christ, that God is faithful. I'm telling you, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. That doesn't mean that that God will cause all your problems to go away. And it doesn't mean that things will be easy and that I won't have to walk through maybe a few valleys But what it does mean is that he will be with me when I walk through them. Like he comforted me in a way that no other thing or no other person possibly could. 
See, this is what David was talking about, by the way, in the 23rd Psalm, whenever he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I, David still had to walk through it. I got to tell you, friend, there's going to be some times in your life you're going to have to walk through. God's not going to let you go and do a little detour. You're going to have to go through. But the good news is this, you're not going to camp there, you're going to go through if you'll keep your faith in God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Hallelujah. First, let me tell you where I'm at. If I had the choice of an easy life but no comforter, or a hard life, with the comforter, I'd choose a hard life every time. Because an easy life is no life at all without the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go looking for difficult situations. Are you all with me? But I am saying this. We will often find ourselves in difficult situations that we did not bring upon ourselves. But when we find ourselves in that place, we can look to God to bring comfort and security. But there will also be times that God will lead us to step out in faith. And those steps may be difficult. And in those moments, like if we will trust God, his spirit will then comfort us in such a way that it will become an anchor for our soul. And this is the other aspect of the comfort that I want to bring your attention to. See, God will call you right where you are, but it is absolutely vital to know that he didn't call you there so that you could settle in and live your life in comfort and superficial peace. I think the reason that so many people have never experienced this particular role of the Holy Spirit in their life is because why would they need the, comfort, uh, the comforter when their lives are already so comfortable? Listen, it's those who are willing to trust God and follow him no matter where he leads, no matter the cost, that most often experience the fullness of his comfort. What I'm saying is perhaps the reason we don't experience the Spirit's power in his various roles in our life is because we aren't stepping out and doing anything to where we desperately need God to show up. See, I believe that God works in the most desperate situations so that no one can mistake it for anything other than him. You've heard me say this before, but everyone wants to experience a miracle, but no one wants to be in a position to have to receive one. Well, if I can just testify for a minute, I have been in a place to where I needed not only one miracle, but two, and guess what? He delivered. I stand here and testify to you that whatever you're going through this morning, he will deliver if you put your faith and your trust in him, and he will do what you couldn't do in your own strength. He will do what the doctor says we can't operate on. Hello, somebody help me this morning. He will do what you say is not in my bank account to be able to accomplish. He will help you to purchase. This is prophetic and for someone that you're wanting to buy, and I'd love to buy that, and I could never afford that. But trust God because he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. Trust God because he is sovereign and he has the power to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think, friend. He is God. Friends, God's comfort 
comes to those who find themselves in a difficult place, but it also comes to those to whom he calls to do difficult things. And can I just say that if you're a follower of Christ, at some point, that will be you. You know why? Because that's where growth comes. That's where faith is forged. And that's where God gets the glory. Now let's look at the fourth and the last role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I had like a dozen roles that I wanted to, to, to share, but these are the four that I feel like our church body needs to hear the most. And so the final role is this. The Holy Spirit guides. And thank God he does. Because I would not want to know what my life would look like had I been the driver. Hello? Here's what I want you to know about this role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has access to all the wisdom and the knowledge of God. When we abide in him, he continually leads us in truth, causing us to grow and to mature. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This scripture right here gives me so much encouragement because I used to think that I had to work hard to try and find the will of God for my life as if this was this uh, mystery and this uh, elusive thing that almost was impossible for me to grab a hold of. But as I gained a deeper understanding of God's word, a revelation hit me, and it's one that I want to share with you this morning, especially if you are struggling and knowing what God's will is for your life. And it is this. If your heart is after God, if you love God, if you want to know the plan and purpose of God for your life, friend, God is too big to miss. He's too big to miss. If you want to know what it is, God's not playing high and go seek to the point to where you can't find him. God wants all you've got to do is seek, knock. All you've got to do is search for him with all your heart. God longs to reveal to his sons and his daughters. Are you with me? What I mean by that is this, is that if you're searching after God with all your heart, he's not going to allow you to miss what it is that he has for you. But what we've got to do is we've got to let go of our preconceived ideas of God's plan for our lives because many times his plans differ from what we've been holding on to. See, we usually focus on what we do, but God is more focused on who we're becoming. That's why when people say to me, well, I don't know what it is that God has for my life. I have the same response to them every time. I say, well, just keep doing what God's called you to do. And there's a reason for that because I found that the will of God at times can become and like a scapegoat just to sort of escape the responsibilities and the faithfulness of the post that he's got us at now. Hello? Not a lot of amens on that. Sometimes the best thing that we need to do, even if it's for my daughter, thank you, baby, all right? But sometimes we get at that post and we get, we, we get this itch. Can, can I just share something that ain't in the notes for a minute because I just, I just feel this. I've learned something. It's taken me a while to figure this out. I'm almost 47 years old. I'm, I've not arrived yet. I've learned a thing or two, though. I've got a few scars. It ain't my first rodeo. And I've learned things about the proclivity of not only myself, but also of people. See, we get this thing within us where God calls us to do something, and we go through this honeymoon phase. 
You already know where I'm going with this, don't you? And we get excited about that new car. And we get excited about that new house until the HVAC breaks and the water heater goes out. We get excited about that new ride until the transmission breaks. We get excited about that handsome young man that you married when it was 155 pounds, and now seven years later he weighs 218. I might be preaching a little too much close to home here. My wife is laughing. I don't know why she finds that so funny. Ah. But watch this. This is important. I'm just going to follow this leading of the Spirit here on the moment, for a moment. I have noticed something. We all enjoy the honeymoon. We all enjoy, like, the something new. But once we get past that new stage, church, I've witnessed this. I've watched this. Please don't let this be you. I've saw this with people when it comes to church. Now, hear me on this. I am not saying this in a manipulative way to try to keep you here. Some of y'all don't even go to church here. You go somewhere else. You're just here today. That's great. Like, I may not even be here in 10 years. Who knows? You know, we never know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I plan on, plan on dying here. But you, this is a message that goes beyond me. Where God has called you to something, whenever a little bit of time has gone by, don't get that itch to want to go and, and go to the next new thing. Don't trade in that new thing every few years. You know, I've actually been able to kind of dial it down to what I would put as the, the math of it. It's eight years. I, you know, I know it sounds crazy. You ask Jody. I told her this for years. I said, babe, I said, there's something about like every eight years. And I witnessed it in the church. Like people that are at the church for close to eight years, they get an itch and they have to move on, which is a shame because that's when you really, can I, how many of you would testify that it was after the eight years was the better years of marriage in your life, not the ones prior to that, right? You better put your hands up. You're going to be in trouble. Every, I mean, especially every husband. Come on at you. <laughs> So y'all with me? But watch this. We do that with cars. I found, it's true, right around eight-year marker. We do it in houses. Like I've noticed we, we, we do it with church. And then one day I was curious, and I just knew it. I knew it by the Spirit. I said, we, we do it in marriages too. And so guess what I did? And I already knew the answer. I was so excited when I saw it. I looked it up. Guess what the average year is where people get divorced? That's right, year eight. Now, where am I going with this? I'm talking about us being called to where God's called us to be. And don't go for the back door just because it gets uncomfortable. And, and we're the worst about doing that as a church because all of a sudden, people start finding out our, our, our stuff. Right? And we all got stuff. Like, don't sit there and act like your stuff don't stank. <laughs> Yours does and mine does. Is it okay to talk like that? I'm just being real with you this morning. Right? But you know what? When we get real about who we are and about our struggles, church, it's beautiful. It's okay to say, I feel depressed today. Can you pray for me and not have to worry about someone going and, oh, did you hear today? What's so-and-so? Oh, we need to pray for them. And really, they use that as an excuse to just spread gossip and rumors. No, you ain't praying about them. You're being a gossip and stop it. If you hadn't already been praying for them for an hour before you told your BFF about it, you're spreading rumors. Ooh, that's from the Lord. Come on, somebody. Hmm. Let, me, let, me, let, let me just make this practical here, just in case you're not connecting the dots. 
if you're married, then that's who God has called you to be married to. You don't have to question if that's God's will for your life. Being married to your spouse is God's will for your life. If you're single and you're a Christian and you're wondering if it's God's will for you to marry someone who's not a Christian, you don't have to ask if that's God's will for your life. Now, if you married this person and they were not a believer, maybe you both weren't believers and now you're a Christian and they're not Christian, that's a different scenario. I'm talking about someone who is dating right now, a Christian, and you're wondering, that Christian's wondering, is it God's will for me to marry someone who's not a Christian? You don't have to ask if that's God's will or not because it is not. God won't lead you to do something that is contrary to what his word says. Like ever. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care if you don't like it. Friends, can I be honest and say there's some things I don't like that God tells me to do? I don't like fasting. And if you like fasting, God bless you. I don't know. You have an anointing on you or you're weird, one or the other. Um, I'm going to believe all y'all are anointed. Not that you're weird. That's some other church. But, uh, but I don't like it. Uh, okay, is that all right? Say that as a pastor, but I'm being vulnerable to y'all, so how can I, if I'm not being honest with y'all, yeah, okay. But if you're single and you're a Christian, like, you want to get married, someone's not a believer, that, that's not God's will for your life. And by the way, let me just say, while we're on this thought, like, the Holy Spirit will not and cannot lead you into sin. A believer that sins is not listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this sounds like a, a point that, that is obvious to many, but church, I assure you that there are going to be people here in this message, if not those that are watching online or uh, even those that are here that, that need to hear this. Uh, for that matter, history is filled with atrocities that have been committed in the name of God, but they had nothing to do with God. Actually, God's word condemned the very thing that they did. And this is one of the many reasons that we need to know what God's word says. Not only know it, but live it. That's why King David says that thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. A couple of months ago, I was going outside and I was taking the trash uh, out to my trash cans. And my trash cans are to the side of my house. And something's happened with uh, my motion detector light. It's not been working um, for the last couple months. And so but I'm thinking no big deal because, I mean, I know my backyard like the back of my hand. And so I'm walking back there and I go and I step on something, which in my mind I thought was a snake that jumped up. I had shorts on and got my leg. Yeah, you would have definitely been laughing if you'd have saw that because you saw your pastor move in a way that he hasn't moved since he ran a 440 back at high school, okay? But had the light been on, I could have easily seen that it was not a snake but just a stick, and I stepped on it and it hit my leg. But isn't that the way that life goes? I mean, when we don't have the light of God's word illuminating our steps, we do one of a couple different things. We either become fearful of things that we shouldn't be afraid of, or we step onto something that we should have never gotten close to. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And what is truth? Jesus says it in the next chapter, John chapter 17, thy word. 
is truth. See, one of the ways that I found that the Holy Spirit leads and directs me in my life is by bringing remembrance to God's word. And I can't, man, begin to count the amount of times that I found myself in situations where I didn't know exactly what to do, but the Holy Spirit recalled God's word that I had stored up in my heart from times past. And I tell you this because I want you to know how the Holy Spirit operates, but also to encourage you in those moments where you have spent with God, storing up things in your heart. And maybe in that moment, as you're reading it, maybe you feel like you didn't get anything uh, out of it right away. Well, it may be just that you're storing up for later on when you do need it. But as I said earlier, knowing it's one thing, but doing what it says is another. And church, I can't beat this drum loud enough because this is where a large portion of the American church is. People who know God's word, but yet somehow they think that knowing is enough. But folks, James said, faith without works is what? It's dead. It's a rotten corpse. Being a hearer of the word without being a doer of the word is useless. Like imagine if I had went to the store and I purchased a treadmill. And three months later, I took it back to the store and complained to the clerk that it didn't work. I didn't lose a pound. And he'd ask me, well, what's the problem? Didn't it work properly? And then imagine if I then responded, well, I don't know if it works. Uh, I never ran on it. I just know that I didn't lose weight, so I'm done with it. As crazy as an illustration like that may seem, this is exactly what many people do, both with the church and with God's word. I've had people leave the church and say, well, I didn't feel connected, although Pastor Daniel gets up here and with his whole heart as I do and says, you got to get in community. You got, all you got to do is stop at the community. All you got to do is just, if you just walk up to the table and don't even say anything, they're going to take your hand from there. But, you, we, we, like, but we, we can't like pick you up and carry you and set you in front of it. But yet people leave the church and, well, I didn't get connected in community there. My goodness, that'd be like someone walking into a steakhouse and just standing around and leaving and says, they wouldn't feed me anything. Hello? At some point, now if we're talking to the children's ministry, we'll feed them. But as adults, I think we need to feed our, I think that we need to take a few steps ourselves. Is it okay to talk like that? Come on now. People go to church, they own a Bible, but their investment in both of them is minimal. But catch this, you can't appreciate or expect results from what you're not fully invested in. Let me share this last thought, and then the worship team is going to come back up and uh, lead us in a time of prayer before we dismiss. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to emulate a balanced life with a little bit of God added in. Yet this is the case with so many believers in our nation. We have those who, in a sense, have asked Jesus to join them on their journey and to follow them wherever they go rather than following him as he leads. But church, the God of the universe is not just someone that we can add to our lives and keep on doing as we did before. 
The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is not just someone who we could call in when we need just a little extra power. Like Jesus did not die in order to follow us. He died and he rose from the grave so that we would forget everything else and follow him. And this is right at the heart of what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. See, when we talk about the Holy Spirit leading our lives, his leading As I said earlier, it may very well go in opposition to what our flesh wants. Here's what I mean. What if he asks you to give up something that you're not ready to give up? What if he asks you to do something that you really don't want to do? Are you willing to surrender to him no matter where he wants to take you? See, the reality is this. God is calling the Spirit is beckoning. But the question is, will we follow? Will we trust and obey, believing that what God's Spirit leads us to is better than anything that we could ever follow? And in closing, here's what I want us to do right now. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, would you stand to your feet with me? I know I went a little longer today. Blame the small font. But I want to do two things. First, I want to invite anyone who's here or that's watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today, everything can be different in your life. Today, If you will call out to God, friend, he will save you. He will save you. Not only will he save you and forgive you of your sin, but he will give you the strength to live the life that you're already living. You're going to live it with God or without God. Hello, I want God. Are you with me? I've tried it without God. I've tried it with God. It's a no-brainer. It's why I'm standing up here. If the world was better, I would stay in the world and we would have met in a bar instead of a church. God is better, friends. And anything that you think that you're grabbing hold of in this world that you think is going to suffice, friend, I got to tell you that it is counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. It might get you through a few things, but eventually a counterfeit gets caught. But you can have the real thing this morning. You can have salvation. Oh, such a beautiful gift. And here's the thing. No matter where you're at, you say, but Pastor, that that doesn't apply to me. No, friend, it applies to you. I mean, if God can take the Apostle Paul, who was killing Christians, and then use him for his glory to the point to where he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, I think God can use you. 
I think that he can use you even though you got some hang-ups and you got some sins and you've done some bad things. Welcome to the crowd. There ain't a person in this room. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And friend, I want you to know this morning that you can call upon the name of Jesus and he promises to wash your sin as white as snow. The Bible says that though it be as scarlet, that's how he'll cleanse you, as white as snow. And you'll have the promise that he will throw your sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. And then he promises to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, my goodness. And we get the promise of heaven so that whenever we breathe our last breath, and friend, each and every one of you at some point will breathe your last breath. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the only way we get to go to heaven, Jesus said it himself. He said, me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you're willing to surrender and say, God, I give you my heart, if that's you right now, put your hand up. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. If you say, I want Jesus, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow God, I want to serve God. Some of y'all that came uh, with those that, that, that gave their life uh, or uh, the children's life to be dedicated today, man, those children's going to need good, solid Christians around them. Are you with me? Maybe you're online and you're watching and you're watching this later on and, 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 and you're hearing this. I want to say to you, friend, you can call upon the name of Jesus. I just feel this in my heart, but there's someone right now, you're stoned, you're high watching this later on. Not right now live, but you're watching this later on. God wants you to know that he loves you and that if you call upon him, he will set you free. He loves you so dearly, and he has a plan, a plan that is so much better than that counterfeit that you're token on. There's no high like the most high, friend. Call upon him. Call upon him. And for those of you that said yes to Jesus, I want to serve him. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to invite you to pray. And the person and those that are watching online, I want to invite you to pray. And right now, we're going to Pray a prayer of surrender to God, confessing our need for him. Pray this out loud with me if you would. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from them. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.